0: Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church. This is Pass the Mic.
1: Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church powered by The Witness, a black Christian collective. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at Burns23. Follow at your own risk. And joining me as always is the president of The Witness, the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Blue Check Verified himself. Jamar Tisby, what's going on, brother? Hey, what's going
2: on, man? It's good to be back on the mic.
1: And I think everyone has come to this episode because they're ready to hear wonderful conversation between me and you, right? That's the only reason why people came. They want to hear our analysis of Creed 2 They're just trying to hear what we have to say. I, that's and what maybe, I think. Right, Jamal?
2: That's it. That's it. People came to hear our voices for whatever reason. They may be bored. They may have nothing else to do. Maybe they lost a bet, but they're listening. And <laughs> Now you got us. Yes.
1: Now nah, everybody knows you hear you click the link, you download it because you want to hear our conversation with the man, the myth, the legend from the acting side, the Hollywood side, <laughs> Mr. Michael B. Jordan, man. So this is, this is exciting. I'm really happy for you guys to hear this brief conversation that I was able to have with him about the upcoming movie Creed 2. But before we get into that.
2: You heard you heard that he said, I, I just got to put that out there. Look, man, I'm look, man, this is, this, this able look. To, no, hey, look, look, I'm not mad. I'm not hating. We had our A squad on there for a top level interview. Y'all are going to enjoy it. I'm just saying I didn't have the pleasure, or the privilege.
1: That's it. That's Listen, it. listen, we're going to get into that. We're going to get into that. So don't jump the gun. But before we do that, as I've told you guys, there are two announcements that we have to make Before every podcast, before we get into the meat of the topic, for at least one minute and 25 seconds, we have to talk about my esteemed colleague Jamar Tisby's book, which is coming out January of 2019, The Color of Compromise. It's doing crazy numbers already on Amazon, which I want you to talk about in a second, Jamar. But y'all go out and pre-order this book. Go to thecolorofcompromise.com. It's a powerful book. I've had the privilege of reading and writing an endorsement. Jamar had to pay me only $50 for the endorsement. So it was real cheap for him. <laughs> it's a cheap deal for me to just write. now. I'm kidding. But it's, it's a wonderful book. And I just want you to talk a little bit about what's going on behind the scenes because you're doing great things on the charts already, brother.
2: Well, so, you know, when you write a book, it's not just writing it, it's learning sort of the publishing business. So I had a chance to sit down with the publishers and they were telling me uh, they put me on game. Right. Like the whole book selling game is on Amazon right now. Everybody buys books on Amazon. You know it. You listen and you do it. I do it, too. But what that means is that the standalone stores, the brick and mortar stores like your Barnes and Nobles and whatnot, they order books based on the pre-order sales online. So pre-order game is everything. And thanks to the support of our listeners, the folks who have accessed The Witness and and other outlets uh, in the various different categories, the relevant categories, it's a number one new release already. And we still got two months to go. So it's been amazingly positive feedback. Thank you all so much for your support.
1: January 2019, but you can pre-order it right now on Amazon, or you can also go to the color com for more information. And we have to talk about October 4th and 5th of next year. The witness is doing a national gathering, a national conference in the Windy City, Chicago, Illinois, where the theme will be joy and justice. It's going to be exciting. Our team is in the throes of planning this wonderful event and securing the speakers. And so there's going to be more that comes out about this soon, but we just want you to lock down those dates, October 4th and 5th. They need to be there, Jamar. There's going to be some stuff that's going to surprise them and they need to see it for themselves. They don't need to hear people talking about it on Twitter.
2: Look, we have been doing some brainstorming sessions among the team and folks are thinking out of the box. I'm really excited just at some ideas that we have, but in the same breath, I have to say, you know, I, I personally, as president of The Witness, had put this conference off for a long time. Confluence of Events meant we had to do it this year, and I'm excited, but we also need your support. So put us on your prayer list. We've got a lot of moving parts. Everybody else has lots of different things going on. We need all the help we can get. So just lift this up to the Lord and pray that it's an edifying, fun, memorable, informative time.
1: Absolutely, man. So again, we have a conversation with Michael B. Jordan that we're going to be getting into just in just a few minutes. But I want to set up just the frame of how this episode is going to run because it's a little bit different um, than some of our normal episodes and what you're used to hearing here on Pastor Mike. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to set up just kind of the backdrop of how this all came to be and also talk a little bit about why Creed is important. Then we're going to get into the interview, and after the interview, we're going to have kind of an unfiltered but yet spoiler-free discussion about Creed 2 because we were able to see the movie. Now, I need to talk first about that. We were able to see Creed II in advance weeks before it came out. And so, Jamar, what was that experience like for you?
2: It was dope, man. I mean, first of all, it was like out of the blue. You called me and were like, hey, man, what are you doing Wednesday, like two days from now? I was like, I don't know, stuff. And he's like, you want to come to Atlanta? <laughs> I said, uh, well, like a lot would have to fall into place for that to happen. Like, uh, I had a class I had to to help teach. I had papers due and all these things. Um, and it just so happened to work out that, that both you and I were able to drive out to Atlanta last minute. And it
1: was, it was wild, man. I, I don't nah, know. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Nah. Cause you're not telling the truth. When, when Jamar heard from me, look, I need you to meet me in Atlanta. It's something going on. Uh, I think we might be able to see Creed too. You know what Jamar told me? Jamar, you know how when you invite that person to the party and they're like, who all there? (laughs) Jamar, who all there me? He's like, well, who all gonna be there? Like, I'm like, bro, come on, I'm gonna be there. (laughs) Like I'm gonna be there and we are gonna get you in the movie. Like, what's the deal, man? Come on, man. This brother was like, I don't know, man. Like, like six hours for no movie. I don't know, man. I just gotta read this this Roots documentary again, and I gotta write down more <laughs> about racism. I'm like, bro, leave the yo. This is joy. We joy and justice, man. Leave the stuff down and, and come and 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 come to Atlanta for this, man. But he's right, though. Everything had to like break just right for both of us to be there.
2: Yeah, it did. And uh, I got there. I think it was supposed to start at like seven. I got there at like 706. There was this big old line out there. They ran out of seats. I'm like, but wait a minute. My my homeboy's already in there. So I, I walk up like everybody's mad because they said they're out of seats. And I walk up and I'm like, I'm with Tyler Burns. And
1: nah, this is <laughs> what happens when you blue check verify. You just walk up. You skip the line. Uh-uh, uh-uh, Jamar no used to it. He's like, I'm gonna just skip the uh-uh. line.
2: There was somebody else. There were two people at the table. The first person didn't know what I was talking about because she was trying to manage the whole line and all that stuff. But the person next to her was like her manager and whatnot. And she heard Tyler Burns. and She's like, oh, yeah, yeah, he's got your, your wristband. He's already in there. You're cool. And I'm telling you, there were these two big bouncers at the door. So you needed your wristband. They weren't going to let you in. So that happened and got in there just in time. And uh, the who all going to be there?
1: I, I don't know if you tricked me or what, but I was I was shook. When I got Look, here. man, I didn't know Michael B. Jordan was going to be at the actual film. I had no idea. And this is where I have to talk about the connect. So people are like, how did you get this connection? Like, what's going on here? And it's basically through the podcast. There is a lady named Don Shell, Don Shell Carlton, who's now one of our best friends. Um, and yeah. She works with Eden Digital Group and Grace Hill Media. And so shout out to Don Shell, because she's been listening to the podcast for a while. And we've been having this ongoing conversation about what would it look like to make sure that outlets like Pass the Mic and similar Black Christian outlets have the opportunity to go into Hollywood and ask questions and talk through and cover what would typically be just reserved for mainstream outlets. And so she opened up these wonderful opportunities for us. And there's another opportunity that I I actually got as well that I can't talk about yet, but I really want to talk about. Just give it a few months and I'll be able to talk about that. I don't even know this Um, one. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this was, this go this go. no, I told you about this. Anyway, anyway, (laughs) you're doing it again. You all there in me again. But nah, so shout out to Don Shell. And also we have to shout out Warner Brothers and MGM for allowing us to come to the ATL screening. Michael B. Jordan was there. The director was there. um, A couple of the other cast members were there. And it was a great experience. And we also got to see our friend Amina Brown as well. So we sat with her and her husband, Matt. So shout out to Amina. And it was a great experience. Now I have to talk about this because when when we talk about what it means to go to a movie like Creed, Creed is the extension of the Rocky franchise. And Everyone talks about Rocky with this nostalgia. Like they're like, "Man, my dad and I, we used to listen to, uh, we used to watch the Rocky movies around the holidays or around Thanksgiving or what have you." And that's true. That was my experience as well. Like my father was an amateur boxer. He raised me to be this boxing head and and love all these different um, fighters and watch old tapes and the the grainy footage of of the fights. You know, back in the '40s or the '50s. And so I grew up watching Rocky, and I knew it was dramatized. But I had this knee-jerk reaction that I was just rooting for Rocky, right? I was just rooting for Rocky. Rocky's the protagonist. Rocky's the hero. And, and that was you, right, Jamar? So you rooted for Rocky.
2: I mean, that's the way they set it up. Absolutely. It, he's the protagonist. Um, he's the one who's the, the story centered around us. So of course, you want him to win.
1: Exactly. So he's that's the way they set it up. So he's the protagonist. But what a lot of people don't understand is that Rocky as a film franchise is set up like this internal boxing hardcore fan conversation. So I have to kick this to you, um, this article by my homeboy, Bradford William Davis. And it's an article on his website that he does with Morgan Leaks called Foul and Fair. And the article title is Creed Nails Muhammad Ali's legacy. Now, this was about the original Creed. Now, I think I talked about this in the original Creed discussion that we had. And I think I referenced y'all this article, but it's so good. Three years later, it's still just as good as it was when I read it the first time because he talks about some of the subtext of the Rocky franchise. So go Google that. I'll put it in the show notes as well. Um, Creed nails Muhammad Ali's legacy by Bradford Davis. And so the idea is as a boxing fan, you know that one of the great boxing champions was this guy named Rocky Marciano. Now, Rocky Marciano he retired forty nine and zero as the heavyweight champion, and there's this idea amongst casuals, as we would say, casual boxing fans, that when you talk about a fighter, you have to go by their record. So the best fighters are undefeated. Their best fighters have the fewest losses, and so that's why people say this thing like Floyd Mayweather is the greatest of all time because he was fifty and or fifty one and zero or what have you, right? Now, as boxing hardcore fans, we take offense to that, right, Jamar? Like, we take offense to that because it just isn't about the losses. It's about who you fought, and it's about how you challenge yourself. So there's this internal boxing conversation that just because someone's undefeated doesn't mean that they're better, right? So just because Floyd Mayweather is undefeated, he's better than Manny Pacquiao one-on-one. But if you talk about their career— you talk about how many weight classes they went up. You talk about how many championships were won. You talk about who fought who in their prime. Well, then you talk about, okay, well, Pacquiao's career might be better than Mayweather's. Maybe it's not, but it's at least an argument, right? It's the same thing with Sugar Ray Leonard and Roberto Duran. Sugar Ray Leonard might have lost to Roberto Duran, then came back and beat him and might have made him quit. But if you look at Duran, if you look at all the weight classes he went through, you look at all the people he fought, you're like, man, well, actually Duran probably had the better career than Sugar Ray Leonard. And I'm taking you into this conversation because it's important. This is the conversation that boxing heads run into with casual fans when they ask the question, who would win, Rocky Marciano or Muhammad Ali? Who would win if they fought? Now, me, as a boxing hardcore fan, I say, Ali would kill him. Like, Ali is crazy. Like, (laughs) Ali changed the game when it comes to heavyweights with his speed, with his power, with his footwork, with his movement, with his ring generalship. I'm sitting back and I'm like, man, of course, like Muhammad Ali would win. But they're like, nah, he lost. He he got beat by certain people, whether it's Joe Frazier or Larry Holmes or what have you. And so I sit back and I'm like, nah, man, that's not the thing. Like, come on. And so we sit back and we're like, why did people cling to Rocky Marciano as an undefeated heavyweight champion? Why did they mythologize Rocky? And the truth of the matter is, Bradford talks about it in an article, is because Rocky Marciano was a white heavyweight champion, and the fact that he was a white heavyweight Mm -hmm. champion meant something. And he was one of the last white heavyweight champions for quite a while. There was a huge gap after boxing was integrated, after there was a little bit more um, equality and dignity for boxers uh, boxers of color, and particularly black boxers, to actually have respect and recognition within the industry. And so think about Rocky. That Rocky Balboa is literally a stand in as an example of Rocky Marciano, right? And who do they cast as his protagonist? Well, they cast Carl Weathers, who portrays this handsome, uh, fast talking, you know, quick, powerful footwork, flash and dash. You know everybody's favorite they portrayed the Muhammad Ali avatar, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. so Bradford talks about all this, man, and so it's really interesting when you think about the fact that you were rooting for Rocky, and Ryan Coogler is like, nah man I didn't see I didn't see Apollo as a villain, like I actually rooted for Apollo, I thought Apollo was dope, and so what this creed franchise now is the continuation of the rocky sports films, the continuation of the Rocky franchise itself. Creed is kind of this film case study on how to decenter whiteness. So it's basically like this case study on how do we shift the perspective away from just looking at Rocky as the, as the hero, just simply because he's the one who came from maybe more humble beginnings, or he's the one that came from a certain environment. And how do we shift that perspective? And so Creed, the first movie does that brilliantly, and then Creed 2 continues it. So I just want to give that backdrop because I think a lot of people don't realize why this is important. What's important? Because it's shifting the perspective and it's shifting what we like to talk about all the time is it's shifting the narrative. And there's a narrative that is, is promoted, that is prominent, that is typical. And how does Creed and how do we as believers, how do we as Black Christians flip that narrative on its head? And I think Creed gives us a film study on how we do that
2: yeah, so this movie is decentering whiteness, the Hollywood version. And when you do that, it's amazing what a rich perspective you get mm-hmm. just by switching uh, switching the the narrative, right flipping the script literally, right? So yeah. um, they did a wonderfully updated version, right? It's contemporary from the soundtrack to the cinematography, all of that while at the same time still holding on to the grittiness, the tension the drama of the original movie. So they really did a fantastic job. I can't wait for y'all to see the movies.
1: Yes. And so before we get into talking all the details about Creed 2 and what we felt about it and some of the analysis and the themes and our reactions, we want to get into this conversation with Michael B. Jordan himself. Uh, We actually got just a, a small slot in a press junket. So you know how that works. He's moved from outlet to outlet, So all the people were like, man, ask him questions about Killmonger, ask him questions about Vince Howard, ask him questions about all his other roles. Well, I I, I added in just a little bit at the beginning. So I I made a nod to those roles, but we had a short period of time. So maybe next time when he comes on for the for the expose, you know, the full hour long interview, hint, hint, hint with the witness, you know, then we can talk about that. But in the meantime, I hope you guys enjoy this conversation that I was privileged to have with Michael B. Jordan. Check it out. Michael B. Jordan, thank you for joining us here on Pastor Mike, brother. Pastor Mike, man, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Man, so I just have to ask this question. This is more of a framing question. You, you've, you in your career, played a wide range of characters, whether it's Oscar Grant or Killmonger, Adonis Creed. And then in the future, you're also playing Brian Stevenson, which we're really excited about. Um, and through these roles, it seems like you're showing this wide range of black manhood. Is that an intentional choice on your part, or you know, is that something that just came about? And what do you think is the effect of of that sort of representation for the Black community?
0: I mean, I think it's partially, you know, on purpose. You know, and then you know, the other part is byproduct from the type of projects that I'm into, the one, the story that I that I want to tell. Um, I feel like the representation as Aspect of it all is extremely important, you know, to inspire the next generation of uh, actor, uh, writer, producer, director, uh, uh, editor, script supervisor, crafty, uh, all the all the options and the positions that they didn't even know were were available, or didn't know that they, that they that those were options for them, um, is extremely in- important to me. So, uh, and then it's also really important to have these kids dream. I think dreaming and being able to see themselves and larger than life type of way is really important for a child's development
1: and, uh, and, and ambition. No, that's good. That's good. Now I've heard some actors talk about their characters and say that behind the scenes and behind the camera, they craft the backstory that the audience doesn't see. Maybe fill in those details that aren't explicitly in the script. And so everything from their friends to their family life, to the day-to-day activities or what have you, it, when you think about Adonis and his character, How would faith or church or or even a relationship with God, is that even, do you think that's part of his backstory?
0: As far as Donaldson's backstory? Yes, yes. I mean, I'm not quite sure. I'm not going to, I don't think, that that wasn't a conversation that we've had necessarily for this one specifically. I know Mm -hmm. me personally, you know, I grew up in the church, you know, I come from a very spiritual family, spiritual background, so you know, the essence of, uh, believing in a, in a higher power and, um, you know, and, and that spirituality is something that, uh, I think is threaded into, you know, um, you know, you know, this character, um,
1: for sure. That's good. Oh, yeah. And speaking of kind of the intensity of that, you know, you dig into really intense emotions in this movie and there's elation and there's agony and there's just a mix and, and as an actor, that's your job, but, As a human being, it seems like that would take a toll on you personally. So how do you recover in real life from these emotions that you're experiencing and and displaying on screen? Therapy. Hmm.
0: (laughs) I think uh, just time and just, uh, and, and, um, just to decompress. And to shake off a character, you know, and try to become somebody else, try to get back to who you are. You know, I think every role isn't the role that you go full into, you know, method and and, uh, and really deep dive. You know, I don't think every role is that, not for me anyway. Um, but you do have the opportunity and a character that's worth really, you know, diving into and really, you know, melting into that, that role. Um, sometimes, you know, it, it, takes, it takes some time to get up out of it.
1: Right. No, I can imagine. And, you know, what What we love about boxing on the podcast and what we love about boxing personally as men is that even though you're in the ring facing someone else, the first movie kind of hits on this point that the biggest opponent is really yourself. And so in, in physically training for this this film and, and learning about boxing, what have you learned about yourself and your own willpower?
0: You know, perseverance, um, the fact that pain is temporary, the physical pain... Um, you know, your mind is a is a is an incredible tool, incredible muscle, something that's able to you know to push you through, play, push you to places that you didn't think you were you're capable of going. Hmm. Um, you know, I feel like uh, you know being able to, to see several steps ahead. You know, Um like, like boxing is a game of chess. I feel hmm. like yeah, man. I think I think I think boxing has kind of taught me a, a selflessness. Hmm. Within within a sport that's you know from a first glance can seem very selfish. Yeah, I think those are some of the things, a few things that that I've that I've learned through this process of playing Adonis.
1: Man, that's dope. That's dope. Now, just a couple of more questions. There was one scene in particular uh that I saw in the second film that really it was a subtle scene, and I don't want to give it away to the people who haven't seen it, but. I'll just say that you came back home to Philly and you walked back into a restaurant and Adonis walks back into a restaurant that he regularly attended before he was famous, before he was well known. And it was just that scene of embrace the same place that you had been to before. Now you go back and it's, you're in a different life situation, a different life place. How important has it been for you to spread that message and that principle of giving back to the community, even after you find yourself moving out of the community?
0: I mean, I think giving back to the community is extremely important. You know, we were trying to find organic ways to do so without being, you know, so over the top and being so on the nose. But I feel like, you know, um, personally, that's how I feel. Um, you know, where you come from. You know, I come from a very humble beginnings, so being able to kind of give back to the community that I grew up in. Um, you know, the people that support you, the people that you know that that go out and buy tickets and and um, you know and. and, and, and almost have a hand in making you who you are in a sense. um, You know, it's really important. And I think it was really, really crucial to see that Adonis had those same values and um, could, could do something like that.
1: And I think, you know, even beyond just giving back to the community the subtle ways of doing that, man, the highlight of this film for me is your interaction with Tessa Thompson and then also the daughter that you guys have in the movie how important were those scenes for establishing the heart and soul of this film? Because even beyond the action, which we love, which we know, which we expect, it's so thoughtful and it's touching and it grips you emotionally. How important were those scenes um, even, or were they as important as as the boxing scenes or the scenes within the ring?
0: Yeah, I think the boxing is really in the backdrop on this one, man, and yes. the character. Those relationships—it's a love story, also. I think is a is, is right smack dab in the in, in, in the middle. Um, I you know, Tessa is such a smart actress, smart person. You know, she really challenged us to think outside the box and, and held us accountable and honest for, you know, the portrayal of like strong three hundred and sixty women on screen with their own agency and their own wants and desires that aren't just motivated, you know, by what I what Adonis wants to do. Um, so to. To be able to play a character with, you know, with um, you know, that's that's becoming a man, you know, um, mm. you know, going to be a future husband, is a father, you know, and and um, and uh, that theme of family, having his own tribe, I think was 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 uh, was was really powerful. and We really wanted to show what young black love was looking like, you know, nowadays, and especially between two professionals, you know, one trying to be world champ, the other one, you know, a successful artist in her own right. And uh where's the compromise between the two you know you have these you know, quote unquote power couples or you know um we're in an age where you know women you know aren't just you know quote unquote sitting at home being housewives no they have no. their own- career, they have their own things that they want to do um and be successful and, and very very good at it how us as men can support that and to 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 you know that give and take you know um I right. think that was really for us to kind of show on screen because that's a reflection of life that's the way it should be
1: thank you so much Michael I appreciate it man appreciate it dude All right, be blessed
3: this episode is brought to you in part by Baker Publishing Group most of us don't want to spend our lives being time wasters space takers binge watchers or game players we want to be difference makers but maybe we make changing the world a little more complex than it really is making a difference isn't measured by a viral post or a name on a building It isn't determined by a following or a fan base. Want to make a difference? Focus on just one person at a time. That's the secret of the way of Jesus. In his newest book, One at a Time, Kyle Eidelman invites us to better understand the surprising habits of Jesus and the power of small things done with great love. He challenges true disciples to fully commit to the unexpected Jesus way of changing the world by loving people one at a time. Baker Bookhouse is pleased to partner with Christianity Today to offer a special discount on your copy of One at a Time. Visit bakerbookhouse.com by February 28, 2022 and use promo code 1-2022. That's O-N-E 2022 to receive 40% off with free shipping.
1: So, yo, once again, thanks to Michael B. Jordan for joining us here on Pass the Mic. And thanks to all the people that made that happen, especially Warner Brothers, MGM, Eaton Digital Group, and Grace Hill Media. But, Jamar, we got to talk about this film, man. Spoiler free. So if you haven't seen the film, which is everyone right now, the day it releases, (laughs) as most of everyone has not seen the film, we're not going to spoil it for you. So it's cool. Like, we're not going to give away the the details. We're not going to give away any plot twists, which there are some. Um, but we're just going to sit back and we're going to talk a little bit about what we felt about the film. Now, one of the things that Jamar and I have been talking about, and I want him to kind of unpack, is our expectations for what a sequel to Creed would look like. So, Jamar, can you talk a little bit about your expectations for Creed 2?
2: Right. So, I mean, sequels are always hard to pull off, right? Because especially if it's a really great first film, which Creed was. Um, and so there's a lot of moving parts. You got to get all the same actors back. You got to get all the same personnel back behind the scenes. And that's something that didn't happen with Creed 2. So Creed 1 was directed by Ryan Coogler. Everybody knows Ryan Coogler now. He's done amazing films from Fruitvale Station. And then, of course, the Black Panther movie, which broke all kinds of records and was phenomenal, period. And so now you go. Uh, you got your director, Ryan Coogler. And then for the sequel he couldn't do it cuz he, he the the production schedule was such that he had to do black panther at the same time so now it's like how do you follow
1: ryan coogler <laughs> right as a right director? yeah
2: um so i was concerned like i went in trying to temper my expectations and i went in thinking well if they don't ruin the legacy of the first film the sequel b- would be successful so i was really trying to brace myself for whatever it would be and i have to say i was pleasantly surprised, very, very refreshed that the director they brought in, Stephen Caple Jr., did a marvelous job. Yes, he, did. he picked it up seamlessly. It was its own film, and yet it still felt related to the first one. So all my expectations, they were well exceeded. I'm very, very glad for that.
1: Yeah. So I think what was really interesting about that is when you think about blockbuster sequels that switch directors, you kind of think that that director is going to take the film in a direction that's maybe a little bit more... Crowd pleasing that leans into the blockbuster-ish elements of it. Right. So you think that he's going to push away from the storyline. And I expected a little bit more of a crowd pleasing, you know, super violent, semi-cartoonish like movie. (laughs) Like that's what I was guessing. Not that it would be bad, but I just expected that it would kind of lean more into those blockbuster elements, that it would be a popcorn movie, that it would be a a really good and entertaining popcorn movie, but that it might push the storyline to the side. But that's not at all what happens. I think you know what Michael B. Jordan said in uh, the screening that we were at was really interesting because he talked about the fact that Rocky, as a, an original film, the original Rocky movie, it only had like somewhere in, in the vicinity of like 15 minutes of, of actual boxing footage. That it was actually a love story, and so he said that was really influential for him as he approached Creed too. And at first, I was like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> like, I'm like, "Huh? Like, what do you mean?" And then once you see the film, you're like, ah, yeah, I get it. It's actually much more thoughtful. And so, you know, I'm thinking about, like, when people switch directors. There's this movie um, that I used to watch. And this is funny to even talk about. But Blade, the Blade series. So Blade 1 switches directors in Blade 2. So in Blade 2, it's Guillermo del Toro, right? And so it's a different type of film. And it leans more into, like, visual effects and, like, visual elements instead of like really developing the blade character, it does that in a little bit, but it kind of pushes that to the side and actually talks about like more of the, the. it actually shows you more of the, the CGI. It shows you a little bit more of the practical effects or some of the things um, that makes it more of a dazzling movie, a fun movie to watch. And so I felt like that was what was going to happen here, but that's not what happens. And I think they really actually double down and lean into the story in a way that's really helpful. And when I was talking about the film to a number of people, I said, it's actually a more thoughtful movie than the original. And I don't mean that the original wasn't thoughtful. I just feel like the original was trying to do something to re-energize the franchise and to kind of flip the perspective. But I think Creed 2 takes it a step further and talks about Adonis's personal development. And so it talks about him as a man, like him as a friend, him as um, what you guys have seen already in the trailers, but him as a father. And so thinking through all that, it kind of walks you through that process in a way that was really refreshing for me. So I actually thought it was it was really thoughtful and and in a in a sense less of a boxing movie and more of a movie that involves boxing, if that makes sense. That's right.
2: That's right. Yeah, that's exactly what I would say. For for people who are concerned, like, oh, I don't watch sports movies or I don't like action movies or whatever. It's not a boxing movie as much as a movie with boxing. Um yeah, and that just yeah. serves as sort of a, a vehicle yeah. to help propel a much more complicated story about personal development, about love and relationships. I thought they had some really, really powerful themes about repentance and hmm. uh forgiveness.
1: Yeah, so, talk about yeah, that. that. Talk is, about that yeah. theme because I felt that too. I felt that, you know, especially looking at this through the lens of a believer, like the idea of how they said sorry and how often they said sorry and what it looks like for repentance and forgiveness. And even a sense of restoration and redemption, like what does that actually look like for all the characters? So talk a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, folks listening, raise your hand if you're like me and you're a conflict avoider, right? Like in in many of our personal (laughs) relationships we would rather not have the argument or the fight what i applaud about so many of the characters in the film is that they weren't afraid to go there like like it 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 felt like a strong community because everyone was willing to tell the truth about everyone else um even if it hurt even if it was ugly even if it took a long time to sink in and of course when you tell the truth that causes conflict it causes friction and so there are seasons and periods when people drift apart. They all up in their feelings and they got to deal with it. But what was so striking to me is that people constantly came back together and say, no, you need each other. You need one another. And then as a result of that process, some people had to say, I'm sorry. Other people had to say I forgive you. And 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 you move on from there. But I thought it was a beautiful picture of really what Christian community and any healthy relationship hmm. ought to be like. But so often you know the movie a lot of times we're thinking about the battle in the ring uh but really the battle is the one that's outside of the ring right right and challenging ourselves to grow and develop and that can only come through honest relationships that challenge you where you work through the conflict and you don't run away because things get tough
1: yeah that was really that was a strong theme throughout a strong theme Uh, Another thing that I really liked that it did was a lot of the villains in the Rocky movies, in the original Rocky movies, are caricatured. So I feel that the villains are done in a way. I mean, we even talked about it before the interview, you know, where Apollo Creed is kind of a caricature. Now, eventually he becomes a friend to Rocky, like eventually becomes his best friend. But even, even how you think of Apollo, let's say Rocky IV, you think of Apollo Rocky IV Still in the same caricature because he's this you know loud talking you know brash. This guy ain't gonna beat me, and what happens then? That gets him killed. Like that gets him in trouble, and so it's kind of even again that caricature of oh, if you keep talking loud, someone's gonna eventually like pride comes before a fall. Like just based upon the fact he's promoting a fight, that now that means that oh, he brought this upon himself. And it's like yeah. yeah, it's still like you're still caricaturing Apollo Creed like to a certain extent. And so Apollo was kind of used as a vehicle to talk about Rocky. Like Apollo was kind of used as a vehicle to, to kind of talk about Rocky's regret as a man and as a friend. And then you take, you know, like Clubber Lane in Rocky 3, total caricature, right? Like sensationalized, over-sexualized, brash, you know, angry, violent, Black character. And then you even, talk, even you take Drago in Rocky 4, it's interesting because Drago like fits this the stereotype of the emotionless Russian, right? Like no emotion. Like I have no, it's like, what? Like, right. okay, now is that really true? Like, is that, I understand like the toughness angle, but it's almost like the the complete purging of all emotional feeling, um, which again is a stereotype that you play into even from, you know, Eastern European side. So I felt like what this film did so well is it refused to caricature the villains. Like it refused to caricature Drago. And at first, you're gonna think that's what you think that's what they're gonna do, but it shows you these these angles, and it shows you this way of approach to that story that was super refreshing, and I thought was very deft. And so, I got to give the writing team, and I got to give the the producers a lot of credit for taking that risk because a lot of people don't even care. Like we just we're like, yo, we here to see Adonis, we we here to see him. <laughs> but to take that risk and say, nah, this is actually a layered story. Like, there's a lot that goes on here. I thought that was really clever,
2: absolutely. I mean since they had the the perspectives of both contenders, it added a richness and a depth and a complexity to the film that i don't even i couldn't even I can't even picture what it would have been like without that character development of Drago's character mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, that was a bold risk, but it
1: paid off and, and one more thing that I have to talk about, and this is a thing that I feel like every single character wrestles with, and if you want to talk about a redemptive idea. It's this idea of inadequacy. It's this idea of limitation. Every single character on the screen has some sort of wrestle or some sort of encounter with inadequacy or limitation. And so you fill it with Adonis, which is obvious, but then you fill it even with Rocky, which his inadequacy is, how can I navigate this young man through something that I myself failed in or felt like I failed in or felt like it broke a part of me, which he says in the trailer. like It broke parts of me that I still haven't been able to to put together. So now, Mm -hmm. am I going to walk with him through this? Am I going to figure out what this looks like? Or am I going to push away in a time where he needs me? Like It's just inadequacy. And then even Tessa Thompson's character, which Tessa's phenomenal in this film, this whole idea that she's going... She's she's dealing with you know the idea of a disability, so she's dealing with the the reality of of going deaf, and what does that mean, and how does that impact her future? How does that impact her legacy? How does that impact you know her daughter? And is she enough for Adonis? <laughs> you know, like, am I capable of supporting him in the way that he's supposed to be supported? And then even the Dragos too. So you have this mentality of of the main Drago character who we know from Rocky Four. Um, played by Dolph Lundgren, he's in this space of how do I how do I train my child in a sense of what happened to me was that there were consequences from the fact that I lost. So how do I then you know train my son and how do I get redemption through that? But it's all inadequacy, right? Like every every single character is dealing with that. And so I think I'll how we back. deal with limitations as our as our human beings and our human selves, like how we deal with limitations and how we deal with inadequacy. Shows us a lot about our perspective. Like, is everything up to us really? And what you find in the film is that the more characters embrace their inadequacy, the more they lean into their own limitations, that those limitations actually provide freedom. Because it shows them that there's something they can control and then there's other things they can't control. And it's in that conflict, it's in the wrestle with their own limitation and inadequacy that they find freedom, that they find um, just their true personhood to who they actually are. So I thought that was a really dope element that goes throughout.
2: So thanks to women speaking into my life, particularly Black women, I've been a little bit more attuned to how women are portrayed sort of broadly and in the world. And I really thought that the way Tessa Thompson's character was portrayed was realistic, nuanced, um, it's in specific what i appreciated is that she had her own career she had her own thing going on right and part of the drama of her character was dealing with her her deafness and the fact that she's a musician and what is she going to do with that in addition to being a partner to her husband and a mother to a new child uh maneuvering all these things so like it wasn't just like like we're talking about uh, uh, Adonis and Drago. There's every it's almost it's pretty much every character in the film.
1: Yeah, even Felicia has, Rashad's character too. Oh my goodness!
2: Yes, Mom's was she had her own stuff because now she sees her son following the path of of his deceased father, mm. and who wants to go through that again, right? So it, it, again, but it, they did all of these these sort of every character had. His or her limitations, every character had her or his struggles, and yet it didn't feel disjointed. It didn't Mm -hmm. feel like we're trying to keep up with five or six different storylines. Right. So, I mean, again, just really good storytelling that didn't hop, skip and jump over the hard parts, but actually said, no, the hard parts are the story. And I think that's true in our lives, too.
1: So would you say that man this deserves a third like you think this is a trilogy like do you think oh, it's good oh, you know and i'm 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 going again this is spoiler free so i'm not really going to get into what happens at the end or anything like that but i'm just saying would you want to see more of this would you want to see more of the character development or has it kind of reached its cap in your mind
2: so i want to see more of this to me every sequel you start over in the sense of can you actually build on the story and the drama and not just the revenue of the first or second film. Right. Uh, So a sequel is hard to pull off. A trilogy is really hard to do well as, as well. And so are you getting the same characters? Are you getting the same director? So to me, it would be starting, you know, just from scratch in terms of expectations about a third film. I think they could pull it off because the writers and the directors so far have been very attuned to telling a story and not just entertaining mm. people or making money. And so I think they could, but I, 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 I'm, I'm nervous.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you don't want to get like Rocky Balboa, right? Like that was yeah, the, you know, that was like you know, the sixth film, which was know, like totally like random. Ran <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, you know, I would say one of the, maybe one of the two or three critiques that I would have of the film is that while it's more thoughtful, it's maybe less daring than than the first one. So the first one has what might be one of the greatest scenes of any boxing movie ever. And that's the the long take, the continuous shot when uh Adonis fights, I think it's Leo in the first one. I know his real his real name is Gabriel Rosado. He's an actual professional boxer um, who actually fought this last weekend. But it's a continuous shot. So it's a continuous shot, no cuts for for two rounds of like a full fight, which was ridiculous. It was incredible. Like that's just a, an amazing movie achievement. And so it was daring in the sense that this felt like it was true to the boxing art form. And this one a little bit, it, it does that in some good ways, but I think in some other ways, it's like maybe takes a step back in that creative risk. And so focusing on the storyline maybe makes it a little bit less daring. And so they have to increase the creativity with how they portray the ring. And so I think maybe portraying the ring in a little bit more creative way. I mean, my idea, and again, nobody's paying me for, for these ideas, but, you know, Warner Brothers, MGM, get at me. I'll write the script. It's cool. Um, <laughs> but it's this idea of a boxing super series. And so one of the things in boxing is when you have a super series, which is a tournament where guys get together, and it's not like they're fighting all in the same week or all in the same month. But over the course of time, whether it's six months, eight months, ten months or a year or even longer, you have a collection of six to eight fighters um, who are just basically battling it out in a tournament. And so I think that might add some contours rather than just a solo villain, you know, kind of having a complexity of people. Maybe you show the boxing community. Yes, it's about Creed, but it's also about Creed's place in a larger boxing community rather than just Creed's own personal journey. So I think that would be really interesting. And then to kind of focus on the stuff that happens in the ring again, but then connect that in a really deft way to what the first one was doing as far as a creative risk. And again, nobody's paying me for this, but hey, look, if y'all want me to write this thing, I can i can map it out for y'all. Okay. I can map it out. I got it written down somewhere in my journal. Nah, but I think that would be really cool because I think this one maybe takes a step back. It's still a crowd pleaser, and it's still a ton of fun. And those training scenes are absolutely ridiculous. And I don't know about you, bro. but I had to hit like about two thousand sit ups after that <laughs> training scene. I was like, nah, man, I ain't taking I can't take my leaning and go see this without hitting the, the sit ups, bro. Like, you know what I'm saying? So yeah, thanks for that, uh, Michael. I appreciate it.
2: Yeah. If you don't love me for my dad, Bob.
1: <laughs> yeah you know what you get like yo you know what you, you know what's going on but you know i think that would that would probably be helpful if they could do that so minor critiques but i think that's really and i mean even even the way in which they portray some of these things i think is really is interesting and so i think even how they portray rocky as a character now like i think it it could evolve it could grow and you know maybe this is maybe we change that maybe you know i just think there's a lot of different ways of approaching this yeah, I mean, a good that would be really refreshing.
2: It open. Right, right. Like a good story right. leaves it open ended. You can, you can take it in different directions. So I think it's it's there if they want it. I'm just like uh, y'all 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 keep flirting with the edge here. You know you got a good thing going. Do you want to do you want to risk driving? Nah, man, just shoot
1: your shot. Like nah, man, that's old school logic, man. Nah, keep shooting. Like okay. are we some Steph Curry's out here, man. Nah, we ain't we ain't going to be like, oh, we gotta we gotta get the perfect hundred percent percentage. Nah, man, shoot your shot, keep going. Okay. <laughs> nah, man. What was I want to see? I want to see him take some risks, man. Let's see what's good. Like, nah, I think you got more stories in you. It's just whether or not they really wanna wanna go down that, that road. But I wanna see if it's if it's not Michael B. Jordan, if it's not Tessa Thompson, I'm kind of like, ah, nah, they gotta uh-huh. stay in. Yeah. They gotta stay in for sure. <laughs> so don't, don't, don't kick them out. But if you keep them in, y'all can keep going for however many movies y'all want. And I'll be, you know, taking Trinity and, you know, my other kids, Lord willing, you know, to this for years to come. So Creed 2 is dope, man. Hope you guys go and, and watch that. And I hope this was. Encouraging for you is just kind of a different format of how we do things here at Pastor Mike. Um, you know, we do, we do this thing called Pastor Remote where we talk about different shows or movies at, you know, intermittent points. But hopefully this gives you some sort of look and peer into kind of our thought process as Black Christians of how we think about art and how we think about, um, just the interaction of the storylines that we see. So hopefully this was encouraging for you guys and man, we can, We can love Jesus and we can love art too. Like there's no, you know, there's no conflict there. It's not mutually exclusive, I promise.